Hi, I'm Dave Epstein. Welcome to this edition of Growing Wisdom. I'm here today with Dave Yadid, and Dave is a rabbinical student. And Dave, you're, you're almost done, so I'm going to call you Rabbi Yadid. And we're going to talk about food and Passover and gardening. And I'm super excited uh, to have this conversation with you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm a huge fan of Growing Wisdom, and I feel like, yeah, I've been following you for, for years, and I've I feel like you're a, a role model to me in what it means to steward land. Well, thank you. Yeah, you know, you and I met several years ago, and I think we connected over the fact that we both kind of have this, you know, appreciation of nature and plants and animals. And, you know, it's definitely one of the things that uh, has sustained our friendship, um, which I'm, I'm really grateful for. And I'm grateful that we're going to have this conversation. So um, I'm, I'm going to, I think I'm going to let, you know, I'll, I'll kind of prompt you a little bit, but I think I want to have you reflect somewhat on some of the things that you've learned, you know, in your studies and certainly uh, your observance of the holidays. Uh, you know, we were talking before we actually did this, that Passover is the third of kind of one of these, uh, as I think you said, pilgrimage holidays, you can correct me, but uh, let's talk about Passover. Let's talk about the connection with some of the foods and uh, the renewal of the earth. I was outside gardening before I recorded this with you. So uh, let, let's get to it. What 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 are some of the things that you think about this time of year? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing. I grew up um, in Long Island and there were these two trees. There was a magnolia tree and a cherry blossom tree in our front yard. And I remember I have all these pictures of my cousins and I like before every Seder in front of these trees. And it's been interesting to walk through Central Park near where I live now and see like forsythia and cherry blossoms and magnolia um, coming up. And I'm like, oh, Passover is coming. So it's interesting to, to see how even with the Jewish calendar shifting a little bit, it always happens sort of at this time of year. And um, Passover is a pilgrimage festival. And I see so many things about food in the holiday. I mean, I guess, Perhaps most obviously, we have all these symbolic foods on the Seder plate. Um, and a lot of the foods represent renewal um, and rebirth. So we have this egg, we have, we have lettuce or parsley, we have this bitter herb like haroset, or some people use green onion. Um, some people use, yeah, um, horseradish roots. Um, there's the shank bone, there's um, yeah, all these different symbolic foods represent mortar from our time in slavery. Um, I came across this verse that I was learning um, in the book of Numbers because the Passover story is, a, it's a story and we tell it at the meal at the Passover Seder. It's eating and storytelling mixed in one, which I think is really significant. And the verse says in Hebrew, it says, so it says, we remember the fish that we used to eat free in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. And the Israelites are saying this right after they've been freed from slavery and they're wandering in the desert and they're being provided the strange food that's the same every day called manna. And I think it's interesting that even after they've been freed from this horrible 400 years of slavery, um, they're complaining that they don't have these types of foods that they used to gather and harvest and grow and take from the Nile. Um, and I think that's just interesting that, 
you know, they are free, but they're also displaced from the landscapes and the food that they knew and the connection they had to that land, even if it was a painful connection. Yeah, and that can be so, it can be so uncomfortable, I think, when you're in a strange, you know, we, we talk about stranger during Passover, and it can be uncomfortable when you are a stranger and you have strange foods, and, and food is such one of those things that makes us feel at home. I, I mean, when I go home and, you know, I get my mother's chicken soup or I, I get the brisket, uh, my sister's kugels, they, they represent that sense of comfort. And, and, you know, I can imagine being displaced even after slavery, you want, you want the food, you want the things that make you feel comfortable. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because Passover is such a time where I feel like the most separate from society because of the way I eat. I'm like carrying these like sad matzo sandwiches while <laughs> on my hikes with like, you know, cream cheese and jelly or something. Um, and it's a way in which I feel distinguished. And also it's um, it's sort of hearkening back to this time of, of poverty and pain. So we eat this like lechem oni, this bread of poverty, which is basically like a cracker um, for a whole week. Um, yeah, I think I also have these like specific Passover foods that I always come back to. My mom makes this like carrot souffle thing. Mm. <laughs> And it always is like, oh, that's the Passover food. Um, yeah. Do, do you do you think that there are certain foods that folks would grow that would be, and, and you know, maybe I could answer the, the question myself, but do, do you, as a rabbi, would you encourage people to grow any sort of things that they could be using at Passover? Uh, from their own garden, even if you had a patio, right? You're in New York City, uh, you have a pot of something. I do have some pot in my New York City patio. Some herbs are coming back. Um, I know that you're the one who taught me that, you know, when we plant things in the fall and they sort of go to seed or die over the winter, they come back at this time, even if they're just shoots of something. Um, so I would encourage people to grow, I mean, bitter herbs, like the classic thing. For sure. The plate but I would also just say like grow whatever is native to where you live I think it's interesting that these kinds of haroset which I guess in America a lot of people are used to like the apple and nut haroset um, which sort of represents the mortar between the bricks in Egypt that Jews in India had like banana haroset and Jews in Panama have a papaya haroset and that all these people adapt these traditional foods based on the landscape and the produce from the landscape that they're in. Yeah, I think some of the Sephardic traditions versus the Ashkenazi traditions, the mortar's different. Uh, and, you know, I've, I've actually adapted some of those other foods uh, because I think it's kind of cool to bring in uh, other sort of Jewish traditions that maybe weren't my traditions as well, specifically around the mortar. The mortar foods uh, is one, one of the things I did last year. That's awesome. Do, do you think, so, you know, we're recording this here at a time when there's obviously a war going on in Ukraine and, and you know, some of those, some of those people definitely are Jewish. And, you know, I, I think about, do you think at all about Passover and their displacement and any parallels or any sort of reflections on that as, as it is going on? Oh my God, hugely. I will share that um, 
one of my colleagues in my rabbinical school is from Ukraine and she was meant to return there to Kiev in July to be a rabbi of that community and that is no longer really on the table. So the pain of the war feels really close to me and, and my cohort. And I mean, I see so many connections to the, the Passover story. I mean, we have this like tyrant with a hardened heart. Literally, that's the terms described Pharaoh that I think mm. people attribute to Vladimir Putin. Um, I think of like all the destruction and um, yeah, the identity of the Ukrainian people as a free people and an independent people. Um, who who fought and I guess in Passover there's this whole theological valence of deliverance and you know the splitting of the sea and all of that and I I'm I don't see those miracles happening today which is painful um, but I hope that the Passover story is one where we can look to it and say like wow this displacement and this um, and this pain is, is is something we have to return to each year no matter what's happening in the world. But of course, there's new residences each year, depending on what happens. I mean, it was very eerie doing Passover in April 2020, when we're talking about freedom when we we're all like literally still in lockdown. Right. Um, but it's it's also an aspirational story. Um, yeah, I, I, I like, you know, I, I like when we talk about Passover and, you know, you welcome the stranger. And I guess that I've been thinking a lot over the past you know, week or so as it's getting closer to actual Passover and, uh, you know, think about, you know, welcoming, welcoming a stranger in the house, you know, are there people that don't have places to go? Uh, and, and whether it's literal or metaphorical, just kind of helping them out in any way that I can at, at this time. Yeah, that's a huge thing. I think we like, we often are, say, I think something in the past, in our, in the Haggadahs my family use, it's like, let all who are hungry come and eat. Yeah. Each year that I read it and I'm become more of an adult, I'm like, wow, there's a dissonance here. If there's no hungry people at our table, maybe we should actually, you know, <laughs> bring these meals to a hungry person. Maybe we should invite someone who's hungry to our table. Maybe we should do some volunteering during the Passover holiday at a food bank um, to actually fulfill that obligation that we say we're doing. Right. And and we've all read it for you know, that that line is so ingrained. Uh, in, in remembering the Seder, some other ones as well, but that one really is so um, pertinent. Uh, any other thoughts about sort of food and the Passover uh, as people are sitting down uh, to their meal, their Passover meal here during the middle of April this year? Uh, anything you'd encourage people to reflect upon with the food, especially anything uh, that is, you know, grown outside? Yeah. Um... I would just say in a time where our diets are more limited, I encourage you to like reach for foods that feel have symbolism to you. You can look to what foods are starting to pop up in your area. Um, and also this is the time of people cleaning out their pantries and sort of noticing what um, stuff they don't need, what chametz, the sort of leavenness, um, either symbolic or literal that they need to get rid of. And I feel like in this time of getting rid of our hummates and sort of paring down. Um, it's an opportunity to notice the things that are growing around us. And, and for those who might listen to this who aren't necessarily Jewish, what, what, what is the hummates? Hummates is leaven. So it's anything made from wheat or oats or rye or barley or buckwheat. 
sort of those main grains, that would be leaven. So like bread, pancakes, waffles, yeast, sourdough starter. Um, the story goes that the Israelites were preparing to leave Egypt and they heard that the Egyptian army was after them. And so they didn't have time to let their loaves rise in the ovens. They, the loaves couldn't proof and the loaves came out just like these crackers. And these crackers, which is what we call matzah today, um, are what they brought with them. And we eat this matzah as a way to hearken back to that leaving in haste. The chametz is um, the leaven. And so you, you know, if you are a very observant person, you're, you're taking that out of your house or you're removing it from the kitchen. And, you know, some people change dishes and, and, and really do a lot, right? Depends. I mean, it's interesting. I know Jews who eat shrimp and pork year round. And when Passover comes around, they're boiling forks and yeah. dishes. And it's, I don't know, some, some habits uh, stick really hard. Um, yeah, people have their own practices. I will say one more thing about food, which is I know that there's different symbols that have made their way onto the Seder plate, like an orange, like a feminist Seder or mm eat instead of a shank bone to represent the blood of the Passover lamb being slaughtered. Um, and other people are inventing each year new symbols to put on their Seder plate that might mean different things. Um, and so I feel like as we also have this arc toward justice in our world, we can consider new foods on the plate. I love that. I love just, you know, bringing new traditions in and uh, you know, kind of making making it your own. I mean, we we do it at our family. You know, there's certain traditions we have, which I'm sure other people don't. And I and I think that's the beauty of just being observant is you can make it your own and make it special for yourself. Yeah. David, thank you so much. Uh, great to have this conversation. Congratulations on uh, your. Uh, you know, upcoming rabbinical officialness. Uh, not sure your graduation, right? And uh, my I'm, ordination. I'm, your ordination. I'm so I am I am thrilled for you. Uh, I know this has been a long a long journey and a journey that you have wanted since I've known you. And uh, I'm I'm really happy for you. Thank you. I met you the week before I started rabbinical school. Right. Right. I remember. I remember. So muzzle tough. Thank you. Really good to be with you. Bye bye. All right.